extraordinary feat. Right, and I, my mind was blown. I ended up meeting a, a fellow named Ed Cook, who had one of the best trained memories in England. And he told me that, you know, he'd be happy to teach me some of these ancient techniques. It turns out the techniques that these guys were using date back to ancient Greece. These were the same techniques that Cicero used to memorize his speeches, that medieval scholars used to memorize entire books. What he showed me was a technique that was supposedly invented 2,500 years ago by the Greek poet Simonides. It's known as the memory palace, and it involves essentially creating an imagined building in your mind's eye and filling that building with imagery. The weirder and more bizarre, the better. And when you walk back through that building, you can see those images that you left behind earlier. So if you want to remember your shopping list, you could put a banana on the sofa and cottage cheese in the refrigerator, I suppose. And I'm not sure what I'd put in the bathroom, but it would be memorable if I put it there. Right. Maybe it's your orange juice or whatever, whatever the third item is that you need to pick up. But once upon a time, these techniques were not only widely known, but widely practiced. You know, people actually had to depend on their memories, uh, which is an idea that's kind of foreign to us today. Today we have iPhones and Blackberries and, you know, Google. We've essentially outsourced the role of remembering to technology. I can see putting bananas on the sofa, even though it's illogical. I can see even orange juice in the bathtub. Where I start to wonder about this is the random digits. I mean, in this, this memory championship, you have to memorize a thousand random digits in order. Do you put them all over the memory palace? To compete at a, a high level in, in this uh, quote-unquote sport, you need to have lots and lots of memory palaces. The people who take this very seriously are collectors of architecture, actually. They're walking around and they go into a building and they say, would this make a good memory palace? And if it will, they, they save it to store their memories later. Once upon a time in the, in the 15th century, one of, my, one of my favorite stories, there was a guy called Peter of Ravenna who had thousands of memory palaces, and he filled them with quotes and sources and facts that he wanted to use. He was a lawyer. Of course, you, you also extreme. tell the story of, uh, of one of the contestants in the National Memory Championships, I believe, who memorized, oh, I don't know how many thousand digits of pi, only to be beaten, and afterward, painstakingly went through his memory palace to get those digits out of there. Oh, it's such a depressing story. Yeah, he had memorized 50,000 digits of pi. He was going to set a world record. <laughs> Somebody comes out of the woodwork and memorizes 80,000. And uh, he had to then cleanse his memory palaces. He actually walked through them and imagined scrubbing the walls uh, to erase these images so that they wouldn't interfere with other things that he would then use those memory palaces for. You're right. It's, it's depressing. Now, you're a science journalist. You were intrigued by all of this. You must have also wondered why it works. Right. It's a good question. One answer you might give is to say that, look, the environment in which the human brain evolved is pretty different from the environment in which we live in today. One thing our ancestors uh, who made their livings as hunter-gatherers didn't need to remember was phone numbers and word-for-word -word instructions from their bosses in the AP US history curriculum or whatever. What they did need to remember was where they found the food, where the resources were, the route back home. It's not surprising that we would have well-developed visual and spatial memories. It's what the brain was built for. There's been a lot of research that you've looked into as well. There are odd people. In fact, early in the book, there's a man who's, I guess, well-known within the field, but goes by the initial S. Yeah, 
S supposedly remembered almost everything. What's fascinating about him is that he was essentially dysfunctional. I mean, he remembered too much and uh, really couldn't hold down a job. He was a journalist by training, but never was very successful at it. Ended up making his living as a stage performer, essentially memorizing stuff on stage. It suggests something about memory that's actually quite profound, which is that it's not remembering so much as forgetting. That's actually the essence of thinking and of, and of being human at some level. S couldn't make those distinctions. The trivial was just as important to him as the profound. And as a result, he, just, he, he couldn't sort. He couldn't make his way through the world. The other end of this is another study that you looked into, a man who goes by the initials E.P., Yeah, I spent some time out in San Diego with E.P. E.P. had what is probably the worst memory in the world. Uh, He subsequently passed away, unfortunately. In 1992, a freakish virus...